Hey, I'm Jesse, we're in Nehemiah, and in chapter 11, resettling in Jerusalem. There are people who have settled among the, the Medo-Persians and the Arabs and other Gentile nations, and now there's this tearing away. Some people by the casting of random lot, meaning by chance, see Acts chapter one, verse 26, for a New Testament example of the final practice of the casting of lots by random chance are chosen to come in to Jerusalem. There are other men who volunteer to move into Jerusalem and it causes tremendous upheaval in family life and family structure. But this is the holy city of Jerusalem and people need to live there. This is, this is where God called them to carry out Old Testament worship. It's been restored, so you need to live there. You'll see some parallels, some similarities between this list and another list in Ezra, another list in First Chronicles. There's some distinctions among the lists, and what Nehemiah's list seems to do is provide sort of a broader cross-section of those who had volunteered and those who had been selected. It's, it's a, it demonstrates kind of a representative cross-section of, of the nation who are now living in Jerusalem. And so now we get a little bit more uh, about the Levites and the priests. What's kind of cool is you see that uh, they're reviving really ancient practices that have been long lost. Here's chapter 11, verse 22. The leader of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, of the descendants of Asaph, who were singers for the service of God's house. There was, in fact, a command of the king regarding them and an ordinance regulating the singer's daily tasks. This is really cool. When it says an ordinance of the king, it's possible this is King Artaxerxes, but I don't think that's likely. I think this is more recounting the, the edict of King David because we're back in Israel, or we're back, we're back in Jerusalem now, right? And we're, we've rebuilt the temple that David's son Solomon built. And we know that David had this ministry that was musical, that David could play a mean harp. <laughs> and, which is funny because he also would like kill lions and wolves and giants and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he's, uh, he also played a mean harp, he was a musician. And so this edict is likely, I think, reviving this ancient edict about musical worship. If it's from Artaxerxes, cool. If it's from David, in my mind, even cooler. But what matters is that musical worship is being reestablished. And there are these tasks for these singers that you have been commissioned by God in the service of the temple. As priests, as Levites, this is, this is a ministry to be carried out with its own hierarchical structure. Uzi is at the top of that. He's the leader of the Levites. And now he's, uh, they, have this, they, they have this command, uh, this ordinance uh, regulating the singer's daily tasks. So you've got a lot of work to do. You've got a lot of work to do. If you live within the temple and you're resetting Jerusalem, there's worship going on, especially now. Okay, remember back to the previous chapter, we've got like six hours worth of confession of sin, six hours worth of the reading of the law and worshiping God. We just finished this beautiful, incredible hymn that recounts the full history of Israel. Isn't that remarkable? Sorry, Schoolhouse Rock. Ancient Israel had it way before you did where you have this way of recounting oral traditions musically. So as they're worshiping God, they're also being re-educated, catechized, if you will, in a New Testament sense, for how, how to remember what God had done. This was orderly worship. And it's a different context, of course, because it's the old covenant, 
But this is something that has mattered to God all the while, all the while. The Psalms plays, uh, play a unique role in this. And I'm sure that the Psalms, uh, I'm sure that the Psalms would come into play, you know, in, in this context, because David wrote, uh, David wrote a lot of the Psalms and some of those have been preserved here, but this, uh, this role that Psalms and hymns play in the Bible strikes me as prophetic and also strategic on God's part. Some of the Psalms were more about Jesus than they were about the original context. And some of the Psalms were more about Jesus than they even were about what David was describing. These Psalms were so prophetic that I believe they make more sense to Christians than they did even to some of the original recipients. I know that's the case with the book of Isaiah because I've seen I've seen Orthodox Jews come to faith in Jesus and then describe to me how the book of Isaiah suddenly just clicks and makes sense for them. How some of the Psalms suddenly just come into focus for them. And these Psalms, these, these lyrics were meant to be sung and they were also pointing forward to Jesus. And they also contain profound, incredible wisdom. But they're also one of the most brilliant ways to hide God's word in your heart. I don't know exactly what songs were being sung. I know that if they were regarding David as their king, then they're probably singing some of the songs that, that David had written, and these are probably psalms. And it could have been the song, the song that we just read, but either way, what we know is that music has this way of sticking with you. Did you remember this? Remember this? When you were a kid, you maybe had a hard time memorizing something you had to memorize for school, but you could sing every lyric of your favorite album. Music has this way of helping us as a mnemonic device hide words in our heart or memorize them. And I've noticed this about worship songs too. I don't remember, uh, I don't remember the sermons that were preached to me by Dr. Curtis Clark, pastor then of Thomasville Road Baptist Church in Tallahassee when I was a student at Florida State University from the years 2003 to 2007. But I remember every lyric to the David Crowder album that came out during that time. I remember the praise songs that we sang during that time. Music has this way of just sticking with you. It's probably why I write songs for the Redemption Church, because I want you to remember it. I want you to, I, I know that you won't remember all the sermons and all the devotions and all the curriculum that I write, but music has this way of sticking with us. And this, this is a tradition that goes all the way back to Old Testament Israel. Music matters. So I've got an assignment for you in light of this tradition that is millennia old. Would you dig through wherever you get your music? Okay, some of you are about to go bust out a record and some of you are just gonna go deep into your Spotify history. Whatever you do, uh, pull out a worship song that you used to sing a long time ago. Now, if you're a baby Christian, guess what? You're currently singing these songs that are gonna mean a lot to you one day in the future. But would you take out a worship song that you used to sing years and years ago, and would you sing it again and sing it anew? And would you thank God for his faithfulness to you all the while? And in so doing, you'll rejoin this ancient tradition, millennia old, of using worship and music to commemorate the goodness of God and even hide his word in your heart. Go sing.